Hi, my name is Jonathan. I am one of the pastors here at Heights, and we're so glad that you found us online. You know, at Heights, it is our desire to love and lead all people to a new life with Christ. And one of the ways that we strive to do that is by posting weekly content at all of the places, on Facebook and on YouTube, on Instagram. We even have our own website where we're constantly posting things as well. If you're checking us out for the first time, you can go to heightschurch.org connect and let us know that you found us. And once again, we're so glad that you're here. Well, so I want to invite you, if you have a Bible with you in hand, one you're going to turn on, one you're going to open up, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And so we are in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16 this morning, and this is going to be our final message uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians. And so if you are uh, joining us new, we have been in 1 Corinthians uh, for 36 messages. So this is our 36th message in 1 Corinthians. We started it uh, late last year, took a break, picked it back up this year. And uh, I just want to personally say thank you, church, for sticking with this. Um, I love preaching through books of the Bible, and, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed this. This has been a, a, a really a, a series of messages that have challenged me. I don't know if it's challenge you. There's been a lot of weeks that I had to stand up here and go, man, I don't want to preach that verse. Oh man, I don't want to say that. Like, I mean, but our commitment here at Heights is just to preach the Bible, just to open it up, see what it says for us today, uh, and just let the truth be known. And so that's our commitment. And so it's, it's been challenging that way. Uh, but when I love coming to an end of a book, there's also this sense of accomplishment uh, that we have together. Like, we did this, right? We, we got through a really hard book of the Bible together. Uh, so thank you. Good job. And I honestly, when you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I wish it almost didn't end in chapter 16. Because if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, and for those of you that are new, just to catch you up, 1 Corinthians 15 is all about like heaven and the resurrected body, and Jesus coming back, and the resurrection, and, and this hope, and this promise that we have as believers in Jesus Christ, that, that this body that we have that gets sick, and broken, and hurt, and tired, and weak, isn't what we have for all of eternity. That when Christ Jesus died on the cross for our sins, when they put him in a tomb, three days later, Jesus rose again. Now, because he has a resurrection, we have a resurrection as believers. So that means this, death, disease, Disease, all of those things don't define us as Christians. They don't have the final say in our lives that we are not just in heaven one day spiritually floating around on a cloud. Like we're in heaven with a new resurrected body as well. And, and so if you've been through that message series with us in chapter 15, like right at the end of the chapter, verse 57, Paul says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said what to that? Amen, right? And so then he gives us that commission, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain, knowing that what you do in the name of the Lord is not empty, it's not worthless, and it has meaning. And so when you come to the end of chapter 15, you're on the mountaintop with Paul, right? I mean, we've got this vision of heaven, and we've got this hope of heaven. We're on the mountaintop, and then chapter 16 comes, and we're right back down in the valley. I'm like, Paul, man, you had me on the mountaintop. Boy, I can see heaven. I can, oh, I'm ready. And then you put me right down in the valley of day-to-day -day life. 
Man, why'd you take us from the valley, you know, the mountain to the valley? And, and now we get back into the pressures of life and the worries of the lives and anxieties of life and the day-to-day life. You know why he puts us right back in the valley to end up this letter to the church of Corinth? Because our lives aren't always lived on the mountaintop. We get those mountaintop experiences every so often as believers in Jesus, but really the life that we live as disciples is in the valley of everyday life. It's dealing with all those pressures and anxieties and worries. And so when he comes into chapter 16, he's doing something very important for them, very important for us as we wrap this letter up together today. And it's this, it's to show the church of Corinth, to show Heights Baptist Church and the people of God this, that we are better together. When we work together, we're better together. And so if you stop and think about this morning, we are better together together as a church than we are individually separated with our own agendas and different things we want. When we work together, we're better together. And that's what Paul's going to show you. So let me show you four ways that we're better together from this text. The first way is this, we are better together in our giving. All right, we are better together in our giving. Let's pick up in verse one. We're going to read down to verse four. Paul writes to the church, now concerning the collection for the saints, As I directed the church of Galatia, so also are you to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. So there will be no collecting when I come. Now, Lotus verse 3 says, When I arrive, I'll send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I shall go also, they will accompany me. So in that opening part of chapter 16, Paul is talking about giving. And he's saying, okay, guys, you are better together when you give. Now, understand this. In the New Testament, there are oftentimes Paul writes in his letters to churches about giving. He writes to the church of Philippi about it. Acts 24, you see it. Here you see it in 1 Corinthians 16. You're going to see it in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. And so stop and think for a moment. When Paul's saying, hey, I'm going to want you to take up a collection before I get there, Here's why that was happening. That collection was used in a couple of different ways. First, it was used to help the poor and the persecuted in that area where that local church was. Sometimes it was used to help Paul along in his ministry and and help him go places. Paul was a tent maker, but also uh, as as a traveling kind of preacher, as a traveling evangelist, there was others that supported Paul. But then also there was a portion that went back to Jerusalem, and there in Jerusalem it was used for persecuted and poor Christians, right? So when they gave, it's not just a bunch of little local churches all throughout the New Testament together, you know, individually. They're actually networked together. And so Paul's saying when you give, Here's what's going to happen with that giving. It's going to go to these places. It's going to go to Jerusalem, and it's going to help people out in Jerusalem. Now, when you stop and think about giving, I know there's a lot of questions when we talk about giving in church. How do you do that? How much should you do? All those things. So let's just take verse 2, and let's look at three principles out of verse 2 when it comes to giving, and let me show you why it's better when we give together. Verse 2, you're going to see this first principle when it comes to giving, and it's this, give regularly, okay? So if you're taking notes, just write that down. I ought to give regularly. Notice verse 2, it says, on the first day of every week, all right? 
First day of the week, this time it's Sunday, all right? That's when they gathered to worship. That's the Lord's Day. That's, you know, three days later, Christ rose again on a Sunday. So you see the New Testament church meeting on a Sunday. That's why we have Sunday as a priority to gather, because that's the day we worship. So Paul's saying, give regularly on the first day of the week, set something aside. Now, you need to figure out individually what regularly looks like within your life, right? Is that you giving once a week? Is that giving twice a month based on a pay cycle? You know, in our house, we tie two times a month based on our pay cycles, right? Is that once a month based on maybe your Social Security income or retirement income? Is that quarterly? What is regularly look like for you may not be what regularly looks like for someone else, but you... As a believer in Christ, you need to give regularly, right? So you define what regularly is in your life. Second principle is this, give intentionally, right? Give intentionally. Notice Paul says there, right? So on the first day of every week, we're going to give regularly, whatever that looks like for you. But also he says, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. Now, some of you have maybe an NIV translation or another translation that's going to say, set something aside based on your income or in portion of your income, right? So when you stop and think about giving, here's the number one question when it comes to giving. How much should I give, right? Everybody always says, how much should I give? So let's just take a quick moment and go biblically through Old Testament, New Testament giving patterns. There are some that are going to say, I'm a hard line, need to tithe, because in the Old Testament, the word tithe means 10%. So we tithe 10%, right? You're exactly right. The Hebrew word tithe means 10%. But in the Old Testament, there's three required tithes. So if you add up the Old Testament tithes that are required, depending on who you read, it's going to be between 23 and 30% of your income. If you want to take that hard online, you know, Old Testament stance, got a tithe, thanks, right? <laughs> Not going to talk you out of that one, all right? Thanks. Yeah. But then you shift to the New Testament, and every time giving is talked about like here, it's never an amount, but it always points to the heart, right? So in the New Testament, we are giving generously out of our heart, but also to the portion of our income. So when you stop and think about that, uh, how much should you give of your income? Here's a question we ask in our house and asked that this week, is not so much the question, how much should I give, but it's how much should I keep? That's the better question. How much should I keep for myself? How much should I keep for my Astros games? How much should I keep for my shoes addiction? You know? How much should I keep for eating now? How, how much should I keep and how much should I give to the Lord for the purpose of ministry? Because when you give, you're giving by faith. Right? When you give, you're giving by faith. This is a faith exercise of however much you give. So if you say, all right, we're going to give 10%, then you're saying, Lord, I'm giving 10% to you, and then I'm trusting that you're going to take care of me on 90% of my income. Right? In our house, we have a practice of giving 12%. 
That's a sacrificial giving for us based on giving here and then other missionaries we support and other things we support also beyond just the ministry here at Heights. Some of you give 12%, 20%. Some of you say, you know what, I can't give 10. Maybe 6% is very generous. And, you know, 4% or 8%, whatever that is, that's between you and the Lord. But what it could come from is a heart of giving, all right? I want to give regularly, and then I want to give intentionally. I want to sit down and say, Lord, what does that look like? How much am I giving to you? How much am I keeping all right, and Lord, what's that figure? And that's between you and God to work out. All right? But then also notice this, give generously. All right? So I, I want to give regularly, I want to give intentionally, but I want to give generously. Look in verse 2. He says, all right, so first day of the week, we set something aside. All right, that's our regular. Each of you has put something aside, stored up. That, that's our, our intentional so that as he may prosper, there's no collecting when I come. And here's why I want to give generously, because it's going to go to Jerusalem, verse 3, and then it's going to help other people. And so when I think about giving generously, I, I want to give generously because your money is now going out to do more work. You know, that's why here at Heights, if you're new with us, let me just explain what we do. When you give, if you give a dollar today in the gray offering boxes, one to my right, one in the back, one to the left, you put a dollar in that, 10% of that dollar, so a dime is going to leave here, and that's going to go to mission work. We support here a national convention through our Southern Baptist Convention. We support two state conventions. We support a local association. So 10% of all of our undesignated offerings automatically leave this place, and they go to work in mission work. So that means this, right now, because of your giving, you are supporting work in Alvin, you're supporting work in Africa, you're supporting work in Russia, you're supporting work in Ukraine, you're supporting work today in some of the hardest reach places on our planet to you know, penetrate with the gospel. You're helping to start new churches. You're helping to revitalize dead and dying churches. You're helping with disaster relief. You're supporting close to 4,000 international missionaries all around our world because you are giving generously, right? That's what happens. And then obviously all the things we do locally as a church is because of your generous giving. So let me just give you this figure. And I, I asked Don, our financial secretary, to give me this this week because I was interested. And you guys broke a record last year on giving generously. You gave last year, and I, I think the figure is going to be on the screen, over $231,000 to missions. Look at that number. That's what you did last year, generously to missions. Isn't that amazing? That's a new record for our church. Amen, right? That's why we're better together when we give, because you literally right now from Alvin are touching the world with the gospel through your giving. So thank you for that. So we want to be better together. So we do that through giving, but we also do that through going. So we're better together through our going. Let's pick up in verse five, because Paul here is about to say, hey guys, I got some travel plans. All right. Now, I don't know if, you know, all the travel plans are going to work out, but here's what I'm shooting for. So he says, I want to visit you after passing through Macedonia for I tended to pass through Macedonia, verse six, and perhaps I'll stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help Help me on my journey wherever I go. Verse 7, for I, don't, for I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend time with you if the Lord permits. 
But if I stay in Ephesus and to Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. So Paul's saying, listen, we're better together when we give. We're better together when we go. And Paul lays out this plan. All right, here's, what, here's my next, you know, six months of travel. This is what I want to do. But I want to point you to something in going here that, that's really important that we can kind of miss in the text at a quick reading. So I want you to kind of look at this with me very, very closely. There's two phrases that Paul uses when we think about making plans. Look at verse 7 right at the end. He said, if the Lord permits. And in verse 9, he says, a wide door for effective work has opened to me. Here's the thing about plans in our lives. You can make plans all you want, but the Lord is the one that directs your steps. You make your plans. I make plans. I love plans. And I'm like Hannibal with the A-team. I love it when a plan comes together, right? So you can do all the planning you want. But at the end of the day, it's the Lord that guides. It's the Lord that directs our steps. So Paul's saying, hey, church, I got these plans. Here's where I want to go. Verse 7, if the Lord permits. Verse 9, for a wide door has opened to me. So let me talk to just a couple of groups here briefly about going, because we're better together when we're going. I'm going to turn my attention over to the students real quick, all right? So for our students, listen, you guys don't have to wait until you're 18 to start living for Jesus, right? You're living for Jesus right now where you are. So in your school, wherever you are, band, drama, sports, you can say, hey, I, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where, where can I go? What do I need to do for you, Lord? But for some of you that are already starting approaching your senior year, here's your prayer. God, what do you want me to do? Lord, where do you want me to go? Or what are you calling me into? So let me challenge our students on this. How many of you right now are honestly praying, Lord, are you calling me to a mission field? Or are you calling me into full-time vocation? You call me to be a children's ministry, call me a youth pastor, call me to be a pastor, call me lead worship in a church. Calling me internationally? I mean, we're, when you're planning your college's students, are you planning just based on a degree program? Planning on maybe, hey, that's where my favorite ball team was? Or are you really saying, Lord, where do you want me to be? Where do you want me to go? So let me turn my attention to the parents on that. Because parents, and listen, I've got one that's a junior, so we're already having these conversations as well, all right? So parents, let me say this. Our job as parents is this to help our children find where the Lord wants them to be and support them in that. That's your job. Parents, that's it. You find and help them find where the Lord wants them to be and you support them in that. So parents, I've had parents over the years talk their kids out of being in the international mission field. Their kids have come to them. Oh, I feel like I'm being called to be a missionary. No, you're not. You're not leaving this country. You're not going there. You're not doing that. That's unsafe. I feel like I'm called to be a pastor. No, you're not. <laughs> you're not going to do that. I feel like I need to go to this university. No, you're not. You're going to my alma mater. You're going to get this degree. You're going to do that. You're going to live in this town. This is where I want you. Parents, your job is to help your children find where the Lord wants them to be and support them. Here's why. Because at the end of the day, 
when your child one day passes away and they stand before the Lord in judgment, you're not standing there. Whether you think you're going to be on the right hand of Jesus going like this with your kids one day, nope. You're going to answer, and I'm going to answer for how I parented my child. But your child is going to answer for their own faith in Christ. And they're going to stand there before that day of judgment. So your job and my job is to help them find where God wants them to be and lead them on. Church, let me say this. As we think about going, these are questions we need to be asking ourselves as a church. How do we get the gospel out to more and more people? How do we do that at Heights Baptist Church? Is it through just trying to pack as many people in in one hour at one time on one day of the week? Or, or do we kind of stay, you know, church, listen, we, we one day was a church plant. Like this church started from another church. Maybe we need to step back and say, hey, where's growth happening around us? Where are areas that are growing that need churches? And, and what if the Lord used us to just say, hey, what if we started new churches over here and over there and over there so the gospel spreads out to more people? Because here's the thing. We're better together in our giving and we're better together in our going, but we're also better together in our serving. We're better together when we serve each other. I want you to pick up in verse 10 because now Paul starts talking about some individual people. And Paul says here in our serving, he picks up in verse 10, he says, when Timothy comes, see that uh, you put him at ease, for he's doing good work of the Lord as I am. Verse 11, so let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I'm expecting him with the brothers. Verse 12, he says, now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to visit you with other brothers, but it's not all that his will uh, come to you now. He'll come when he has an opportunity. Verse 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all you do be done in love. He's going to list out some more names. I want you to notice how Paul describes these guys, because we're better together when we serve each other. It says in verse 15, I urge you, brothers, as you know of the household of Stephanus, where the first converts in Achaia, and they've been devoted themselves to the service of the saints, be subject to such as these, to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunus and Achaeus, because you made for up for your absence, for they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. I want you to notice how Paul talks about how we're better together when we're serving each other. There's times where Paul, in the end of these letters, just lists out a bunch of names, and you go, man, Paul, why are you listing out all these names? That's kind of that's weird. But do you notice what he did with those names? Do you see what he said? He said, these are people who serve other people and they refresh other people's spirit. That's how he described them. He said, they are servants of others and then they refresh other people's spirit. So when it comes to serving, let me just ask you several questions. Are you someone who serves others or are you just being served? Are you a giver or are you just a taker? How would someone really describe you? Is someone going to describe you as, hey, man, that, that person's a servant? Right? Someone going to say, you know, when I'm in that person's presence, man, Paul just, whew, he refreshes my spirit. Right? I love to be around that person. They serve and they refresh my spirit. I mean, is that how someone describes you? Or is someone going to describe you as, you know, that, that person's just like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? 
man, that's an Eeyore. The day's always dark. It's always raining. It's summertime in Houston all the time in their life, hot and humid. Nothing good ever happens. Everything goes wrong. You guys have some of those people in your life, right? And some of you are smiling on, mm-hmm, yeah, I know that person. I'm riding home with them today, you know? <laughs> and just, they're Eeyores all the time. What is Paul showing us? Man, we, we ought to be people who serve other people. We ought to be people that as they leave our presence, they shouldn't be depressed because they were in our presence, right? They should be refreshed. We're encouraging each other. Why? Because we're better together when we're doing those things. We're better together when we're giving because when we're giving, boy, those dollars are going out helping people literally all around our world. Better together when we're going, finding where the Lord wants us to be so the gospel keeps spreading out to people. And we're better together when we're serving so people are refreshed in their faith and they're served and their faith is built up. But let me give you the fourth principle on why we're better together and it's this. We're better together through our caring for each other. So when we care for each other, we're better together that way. We're better together when we care for each other. We take on each other's burdens. We help each other out. I want you to go back to verse 13. As in verse 13, Paul says this, I want you to be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. And here's why we need to care for each other in this way. And he gives you four imperatives there. And I'm going to just kind of merge the last two together. So I'm going to give you three. He's saying be watchful. Be watchful in your life on temptation that can take you into sin. Help others that you're caring for. Be watchful in their lives as well. In a loving way, if you see some patterns of things in people's lives, you know, go up to them and say, hey, I, I, I love you. I care for you. I'm seeing this. I'm, I'm worried about you. It says, stand firm. I want to stand firm in the faith, meaning I don't want to move away from the biblical convictions of Scripture. I want the Bible to guide me in everything that I think, I say, and I do, because this is God's Word. Stand firm in that. But he also says this, and we'll combine the last two imperatives. Act like men and be strong. He says, men and women of the faith, things are going to be hard. Life is going to be tough. Right? Have good courage. Act like men. Be of good courage. Stand strong in the faith. Help each other out. And here's how all that is done. Do you notice verse 14? I underlined it in my Bible. And maybe you want to underline it in yours. He says, let it all be done in love. So as we're caring for each other, as we're serving each other, as we're going together, as we're giving together, all that's done in love. And if you remember chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, listen, you, you can do all these things for the Lord, but if you don't have love, then man, you're, you're like a noisy gong. You're like a clanging cymbal. Well, if you don't have love when you go and you're sharing the gospel and you're caring for people and you're helping people out, if love's not in your heart, it's like Pastor Lee trying to play the guitar. It's just going to be noise. It's going to be awful. It's not going to make any sense. But if you've got love, when you have love for that person that comes from a love for the Lord, now the gospel starts making sense. There's power. People are encouraged. People are built up in their faith because you're caring for one another. And so Paul says this in verse 20, and I, I, I kind of want to end on two more verses here. And here's how we show love to each other, verse 20. He says, all the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. That's a fun verse in our post-COVID culture, isn't it? 
But here's why I want to cover that. Because you'll sometimes run into people and say, oh, you Christians are nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. Okay? Yeah, newsflash. All right? Like, um, yeah, we are. Like, I, that, that never, you can go, oh, you're just a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, we're sinners, right? I mean, like, what, what part is this losing in translation for you? Yeah. It's always funny to me when people start arguing. Who's church for? Is church for the saved? Is church for the unsaved? Church is for the sinners, right? I mean, church is for people who know they need Jesus. That, that's who church is for, right? And so some people come up to you, oh, man, you, you, you hypocrites. You don't follow the Bible. The Bible says you're to greet one another with a holy kiss. Did you greet each other with a holy kiss today? Some of you actually probably did, right? But what's going on here? See, here's where we need to understand things, how we interpret and apply Scripture. Interpretation of this is very cultural. This is a culture in a day of time that a solemn kiss that you exchanged when you came into someone's presence was a sign of respect. Right? It was a sign of saying, I'm extending my hand of friendship to you. I respect you. I care for you. All right? So whether they kissed on one side of the cheek or both sides of the cheek, it was to say, hey, I think you're important in my life, and I care for you, and I respect you. So I'm greeting you with a kiss. Now, some cultures still do that today in parts of our world. They greet one another with a solemn kiss. So what do we apply this? How do we apply this here? Because some of you are like, you ain't kissing me. Don't worry, I ain't kissing you. Right? And I don't really want you to kiss me. I've got one person in my life I care to be kissed by, and her name's Sandra, and the rest of you know I'm good. Right? So how do we greet each other with the holy kiss? In our American culture, it's a, it's a firm handshake. It's a hug. It's a pat on the back. It's being genuinely excited to see someone in your presence. Right? So when we stop and think, all right, this verse of how do we greet each other with the holy kiss? It's coming up to somebody and genuinely caring for them in the moment you're talking to them, right? That moment you're talking to that person in your life group or you see new, that is the most important person in your life in that moment right in front of you. That's greeting each other with the holy kiss. That's caring for one another. And Paul says all those things we do, we ought to do them together. Giving, going, caring, serving. But why? Why do that? Because it's hard to do it together. Man, church unity is hard. Right? It's hard to work as a team. Sometimes as a team, we don't always get along. Sometimes as a team, we don't always agree. We want to do different things. Teamwork is hard. It's easier to be individual. It's easier to just come in and you know hear good music like you heard this morning in a hopefully halfway decent sermon, right? That's easy. It's easy to slip in and slip out. It's, it's easy not to get involved in other people's lives. But why do we do it? Why do we care for each other and connect and serve and engage? Well, here's why. And I'm going to end this letter on this verse. Verse 22. Paul says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. I wrote out verse 22 in my Bible this way. A loveless heart for God will one day face the judgment of God. A loveless heart for God one day will face the judgment of God. So do you know why it's important that we work together? Because 1.7 billion people in our world are not believers in Jesus. Over 
163 million people in the United States are not believers in Jesus. 20 million people in the state of Texans are not believers in Jesus. In a 15-minute drive radius of where you are sitting right now today, 63% of the population in a five-mile drive radius of right where you are in Alvin, Texas, are not believers in Jesus. You know why it's important to work together? Because Paul says, verse 22, if you don't have love for the Lord, you're going to be judged. A, a loveless heart for God one day is going to face the judgment of God. You know why it's important to work together? Because some of you have folks in your home. It's a child, it's a grandchild, it's a husband, it's a wife, it's a cousin, it's an uncle. It's a dear friend you graduated high school from, with, and, and they don't know the Lord. And that's why we work together. Because you and I ought to have a passion that it is going to be hard to go to hell from Alvin, Texas. Right? That we have saturated this area with the gospel so much that it is hard and near, near impossible to go to hell from Alvin, Texas. So as we end 1 Corinthians together, let me say it this way. Let's continue to work together to continue to love and lead all people to a new life with Christ. Let's pray and bow our heads together. I want to thank you for joining us and watching today's message. And I want to just go over a quick story with you that's a really important story in the Bible, and it means a lot to me. It's about a man by the name of Nicodemus. See, Nicodemus was a guy who pretty much grew up going to church all his life. And one night he comes to Jesus, and it's late in the evening, and he sits down with Jesus, and he essentially asks him a question. Jesus, how do I go to heaven? How do I get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus responds in John chapter 3 that you have to be born again. Now Nicodemus asks a very practical question. We all would think, well, how in the world can someone be physically born twice? But Jesus wasn't talking about a second physical birth. He's talking about a spiritual birth, that you have to be born again. See, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that without Christ, our spirits are dead. That we're not able to worship God and love God and honor God. But then when we come to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives, Jesus helps us to be born again. He gives us new birth and our spirits come alive. And so Ephesians chapter 2 again then says, Then by grace you have been saved. It's not a work of yourself. It's the work of Jesus in your life. But listen, that has to be received. You have to receive that gift of grace in your life and believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life. And simply put it this way, did Jesus do everything he possibly could do to save you on the cross? Or is there something else out there? Is he the only way or are there other ways? You know, the way to be saved is to say Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And friend, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, Jesus forgives you of all your sin, past, present, and future. And when you die one day, he will take you to be with him in heaven. And so when you think about the wonderful promises of Jesus, I want to encourage you today, right where you are, to receive them and believe in him. And so if you are ready to do that today, let's just bow in prayer. And I'm going to encourage you in your heart today to mean these words because this is what God says, that when we believe in our hearts that Jesus has died on the cross for us, that we can be saved. So would you pray with me? You can simply say, Dear God, today I believe Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm placing my faith and trust in Him, in Him alone. 
thank you for forgiving me of my sin and one day taking me to heaven to be with you forever. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Friend, I want to thank you so much today for watching our message and encourage you. If you've prayed today to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, please let us know so we can come alongside of you and encourage you, help you take your next step of faith. You can connect with us at our website, heightschurch.org connect. You can even leave a comment here on this YouTube page and we'll be in touch with you because we want to just come alongside of you and help you take that next step of faith. So until next time, thank you for joining us today and we'll see you soon.